Have you ever noticed how creative people are with birth announcements today, you know? Little secret surprises, you know, suddenly they change their picture on Facebook and everyone's wearing blue. You know, guess what that means? Cleverness, you know? Pictures of uh, a crib with <laughs> a sign on it that it says, yeah, hey, you got to get out of here in 30 days, you know? The, we got uh, a new occupancy coming and clever ways. When I was a kid, there was this little tiny place in the newspaper, you know, said Dave McGrath. He was a, you know, three pounds. I don't know how much I weighed when I was born. Is that too much? No, okay, I don't know. You know. Maybe I was eight pounds. I don't know, you know. My mom seemed happy, so I must have been the right weight. I don't know. <laughs> but, you know, when it comes to the announcement of the Lord's birth, you know, it, it, it almost feels as though... The Lord was so excited about what was to come. The kind of excitement that you ought to feel right now as you think about this. That the Lord Jesus, the Son of God, took on flesh to reveal to us who God is. What He's like. You want to know what God is like? Read the New Testament. Study Jesus. See His compassion, His holiness, His zeal. His love. That he started announcing it hundreds of years before. When Melanie and I were newly married in our 20s, we were pastoring a church and, and uh, it came to be Father's Day and we didn't have any kids. There was a man of the church that walked up to us and he said, I prophesy that next year you'll be celebrating. Because a few years had gone by and we just were waiting, you know. And he was right. He wasn't a prophet, but he was right. And when we go back to Isaiah chapter 7, a very unusual time where God determines that the hope that these people need is to know that my son is coming. Take a look with me, if you will. In Isaiah chapter 7, we find ourselves in the midst of a national crisis where the people of God are going to learn that only God can provide security in uncertain times. We live in uncertain times. There's a, I have a friend from church who keeps sending me doom messages <laughs> of all of the things that are coming down the line and how bad things will be. we got to open ourselves up to this, friends. We ought to live carefully. We live in different times. You know, in our country, every country around the world goes through these things in cycles. And here we are. But the nation of Judah is in crisis. You say, the nation of Judah? Who's that? Is that one of those tribes? Well, you see, the nation of uh, Judah is in crisis here because the nation of Judah has endured many attacks. Notice here in verse 1. In the days of Ahaz, the son of Jotham, the son of Uzziah, the king of Judah, Rezin, the king of Syria, and Pekah, the son of Remaliah, the king of Israel, came up to Jerusalem to wage war against it. You see, the nation of Judah is in crisis. 
and they have endured many attacks. And uh, what we can see here is the nation has been divided. No longer is it just the nation of Israel, it's the nation of Israel and the nation of Judah. You see, after Solomon died, who had a divided heart, the Lord said, I am going to rip the kingdom away, but not in your lifetime. And when his son was about to go and be inducted into his position as king, and I'm certain that's not the right word for it, <clears throat> the nation of Israel said, we have no part with him. And the kingdom was split because of a divided heart. And so now there is the nation of Israel. This all took place in First Kings chapter 12. And so these are difficult times for the nation of Israel. A divided people. And now we see that uh, the king of Israel has partnered, uh, gone into cooperation with Syria, the king of Syria. And now they're going to attack Judah. I mean, the holy city is in there. My friends, the city of David. How can they do this? Some bad, bad times going on here. But you know what? As much as they had plans to demolish the city of or the, the kingdom of Judah, they could not. Look at the end of verse 2 here. But they could not yet mount an attack against it. Apparently, they had been unsuccessful thus far. And to make it worse, the nation of Judah had a wicked, wicked king. I mean, this is just a terrible resume. You read about it in 2 Kings chapter 16, in verses 1 to 4. You see, in the 17th year of Pekah, the son of Remaliah, Ahaz, the son of Jotham, the king of Judah, began to reign. And he's 20 years old. He's just a king. And he's a kid. And when he began to reign, he reigned 16 years in Jerusalem. And he did not do what was right in the eyes of the Lord, as his father David had done. But he walked in the ways of the kings of Israel. Wicked, wicked men. And look at this. And he even burned his son as an offering. Ways of the Gentiles, my friends, who worship demons. And here's a king of Judah joining them. Wickedness. And he did this according to the despicable practices of the nations whom the Lord had driven out before the people of Israel. And he sacrificed and made offerings on the high places and on the hills and, every, uh, and under every green tree. He was an idolater. He had no place for God in his life. Now this one, let's go to this one. Let's worship that God. Hey, it's Thursday. Let's go worship a different one. All of them demons. Imagine. Dark time, my friends. You're under attack. Your king is a wicked kid. Terrible. And notice here, Something perhaps that you would understand. When we come to verse 2, we see that fear has taken over the kingdom. Fear is a terrible place to live, my friends. Always looking over your shoulder, wondering, trying to guess what might happen, what people are thinking. Fear. 
But notice verse 2, when the house of David was told, the house of David, we're talking about the dynasty. You remember in 2 Samuel chapter 7, when David went to Nathan and said, I want to build the Lord a house. All we have is this tabernacle that Moses and the nation dragged all over the wilderness. Here I am living in this beautiful paneled house, and the Lord is living in a tent. It ought not to be. Imagine what a king David must have been. The Lord said he was a man after the Lord's heart. And he said, this isn't right. And so Nathan heard from the Lord and, and said, why don't you go tell David, you want to build me a house? <laughs> Think about it. God, who is eternal, it doesn't need a house, my friends. But instead, the Lord said, I'm going to build you a house. And he talked about a dynasty and how that one of his descendants would rule forever. You know what he's talking about? It's Jesus. <laughs> yeah. Jesus, the son of David. The one who has the right to rule. And so fear has taken over. When they heard that Syria is in league with Ephraim, and you say, what is Ephraim? And you get the Ephraim in Manasseh, you got that blessing. Ephraim is the capital city of the northern kingdom of Israel. And the heart of Ahaz and the heart of the people shook as the trees of the forest shake before the wind. Terrified, what are we going to do? This place is a mess. You know what they didn't have? They didn't have any hope. Now, again, it's Christmas time, and, uh, and we often think of the word hope as, I hope I get a new set of tires. I hope I, <laughs> you know, I mean, whatever is on you, I hope, I hope, I hope. Remember as a kid, I hope I get that big red fire truck. I hope I get a bicycle. I hope I hope. That's not what this word hope means that we talk about as followers of Christ. The Greek word is elpis. And it means an anticipation of something happening. It is the cars coming around the corner. They're getting out. They're coming up to the door. Yes, my UPS package is here. <laughs> or whatever you expected to come through the door. I don't know. <laughs> it's anticipation. We know it's coming. That's hope. That's hope. That is the hope that we have in God. So fear has taken over this kingdom. And you will notice as we come to verse 3, the Lord removes the fear in this people's lives. Their fear is about to go out the window. And you know why? Because God is going to speak a word to them. You want to find hope? Read the word of God. Hope is in the Word of God, my friends. There is hope. And you will notice what he says here. And the Lord said to Isaiah, so here's Isaiah the prophet, and he sends Isaiah to the king. He says, You and Shear Jeshub, your son, would name their kid that. I don't understand that, you know. 
<laughs> and at the end of the conduit of the upper pool of the highway to the washer's field, that's where I want you to go and meet the king. And he sends him with an important message, my friend. And you know what that message is? Do not fear. You know, that's one of the first message, the first words that come out of angels' mouths. You know that? When they appear, you know, people are terrified. They're overwhelmed with fear. And they just say, don't fear. No, no, you're going to be all right here. I got a good news for you. And the Lord says, do not fear. And verse 4, and say to him, be careful and be quiet and do not fear. And do not let your heart faint because of these two smoldering stumps of firebrands. The Lord refers to these two nations and these movements as nothing but something you can put out with a stomp of a foot. And the fierce angle of res- uh, anger of Rezin and Syria and the son of Romalia. Why? Because their attempts will fail. I'm telling you right now, they can march around the city all day long, but it ain't going to fall. In verse 3, because Syria with Ephraim and the son of Amalia has devised evil against you, saying, let us go up against Judah and terrify it. Apparently that was working. And let us conquer it for ourselves. And set up the son of Tabeel as the king in the midst of it. And thus says the Lord God, it shall not stand and it shall not come to pass. You see, we're talking about the Davidic dynasty here. There's no end to that. Not till we get to Jesus. And when we do, there ain't no end, my friends. There ain't no end. And then he gives them a little bit more information here in verse 8. For the head of Syria is Damascus, and the head of Damascus is Rezin. And within 65 years, Ephraim, again, northern kingdom of Israel, it's like talking about Washington, you know, Washington representing the United States. Washington says, Ephraim will be shattered from being a people. Wow. The Lord is telling him right now, within 65 years, They won't even be there. Well, you and I know what's going to happen is God is going to raise up the Assyrians, put a hook in their mouth, and take them right to the northern kingdom of Israel and carry away these people captive. Seventy years. A 70-year exile, which, by the way, we remember because of every seventh year, Sabbath year, they were to skip, not plant, not anything. They were to let the land rest. They didn't do it. They ignored God. So God took them out for 70 years to make up for the rest that land did not receive. 65 years, they'll be gone. Hmm. It shall not stand, it shall not come to pass. For the head of Syria is Damascus, you know that. Hmm. But notice what he says here. Within 65 years, Ephraim will be shattered from being a people. Verse 9, and the head of Ephraim is Samaria, and the head of Samaria is the son of Ramah. But if you are not firm in faith, you will not be firm at all. The answer to your fear is faith. 
Where there is no faith, there will be fear. Where there is faith and it is thriving, there will be no fear. The two cannot exist together, my friends. They cannot. Faith is the key to overcoming fear. So notice here in verse 10. He has just revealed some very, very enormously important information. Now he is, the Lord is about to give a sign to confirm his word. And notice what he does here in verse 10. Again, the Lord spoke to Ahaz. Ask a sign of the Lord your God. Let it be as deep as the grave or as high as heaven. But Ahaz said, I will not ask, and I will not put the Lord to the test. And he said, Hear then, O house of David, is it too little for you to weary men that you weary my God is all also? Therefore, verse 14, the Lord will give a sign. The Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and shall call his name Emmanuel. Wait a minute. Wasn't that in the New Testament? surely was and we just read it here this morning bill read that to us yeah and so here is here is how you can know for sure what i have said is true now god's word doesn't need any sign if god says it you ought to believe it but he has given a sign Now, in this very, very simple phrase, there is much complexity. (laughs) And I'm going to lay out to you why this is so, so complex. The word virgin there can mean one of two things. It can mean a young woman about marrying age, or it can mean a woman who has never been with a man. And in this instance, it means both. (laughs) (laughs) Now, what do you mean? Well, he says, uh, behold, the virgin, he's talking about someone specific, shall conceive and bear a son. Likely, they're in the presence in this conversation. Either maybe it was the wife of the king or the wife of Isaiah or whoever, we don't know. But what he's doing is setting a timetable. And we'll see how that lays out here in just a moment. He says, this, this woman is going to conceive and bear a son, and you'll call his name Emmanuel. You say, whoa, wait a minute, isn't that only Jesus? Well, it's, it means God with us. You know, so God is with us. That's a, good, that's a good news, isn't it, if God is with us? But you'll notice here, my friends, that not only will that be a sign, and we're going to, again, see a little bit more info on that to come here, um, but it also represents Jesus. As a matter of fact, the New Testament quotes this. In Matthew chapter 1 and verse 22, you know, all of these events of the virgin giving birth, all of this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. We know the prophet, it's Isaiah. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. Yeah, the son to be born is God. Don't miss that. Piecing these things together. So in this present context, it is referring both to Jesus 
and a son who is to be born. And you will notice that more information is given about him. It's likely a woman present will give birth to a son who will become, again, markers of events to come. But most important is this. It is Jesus. And look at verse 15 here. He shall eat curds and honey when he knows how to refuse the evil and choose the good. You see, that's a, a different way of saying when he's about 12 years old. And so time markers. But notice verse 16. For before the boy knows how to refuse, refuse the evil and choose the good, the land whose two kings you dread will be deserted. Boom. The clock begins to tick. You want to know when the exile is going to happen? Watch the life of this boy develop. Because before he's 12, these nations will be gone. The Lord will bring upon you and upon your people and upon your father's house such a day as have not come since the day of Ephraim departed from Judea, or from Judah. And Ephraim, again, is Israel and Judah, the split. Hmm. The king of Assyria. And so there it is. You know what the hope is? The hope of the incarnation of the Son of God. That God is in control. Do you know why God is able to tell us what's coming in the future? Some have said, well, because God looks out in the future and sees what happens, and then he tells us. That ain't it at all, my friends. You see, God is sovereign and works providentially in this world and in your life. Hear me when I say this. God is working specifically in the events of your life to bring about his will. What is good for you and good through you and good for you. God is at work. So he says, take a look at this kid and watch him age. And before he even hits that birthday, my friends, watch, the, watch and see my power at work. God is great. So hear me when I say fear flees when faith thrives. When you trust the God who controls it all. When the God, you trust the God who knows the tomorrows. You wonder, what about Monday? What about Tuesday? I got an appointment with the doctor. What's he going to say? Oh, no. Well, I know this. Whatever it looks like, I know the Lord will be there. I know it's in part of the Lord's plan. I know it all matters. And it counts. And I need to live faithfully through it. Whatever might come. By the way, I've met two doctors. One said, oh, we've got to do this. The other one's like, eh, don't worry about it. <laughs> Nothing's happened now, and it probably won't happen again. So, so we have a choice to make. Whom do we believe? Well, I'll tell you whom we believe is the Lord. And the Lord will give us wisdom and know what to do. Follow me in that, my friends. Trust the Lord. Because where there is faith, fear runs away. So i got a few challenges for you, my friends. How about this? Let's make the goal of this celebration of the Incarnation to put our faith into practice. 
Let's take time every day at the end of the day and say, hey, where have I lived this out? Where have I trusted God? Where have I responded to this in obedience to what God has said? Where have I honored Him? By not acting by the flesh, but by the Spirit. Let's put our faith into practice. Number two, I challenge you to read the accounts of the birth of Christ at least once a week through this Christmas season. Once a week, you sit down, you read the Word of God. I'll bet you you're going to find some things you didn't know was there because you've been summarizing this your whole life. Chase it down. Once a week, you sit down with your Bible open, you read the account of the birth of Christ. And finally, I challenge you to tell someone this Christmas season, before January 1, that you tell someone what Christ has done for you. How he died for your sin, how he rose from the dead, how he's changing you from the inside out. And how they can have the same thing by faith in Jesus Christ. How about we just put together and put to practice what we know is true? Maybe we invite someone to come to one of these services to study the Word of God together. Who knows, they might hear the gospel and believe just like you did. Yeah, think of it. What could be if we are courageous and obedient enough to do what God has called us to do? So when God brings that person into your life, and there they are, and you're like, oh my goodness, this is it. This is what Pastor talked about. I'm supposed to talk to this person about Jesus. Did you see the Bills game? (sighs) Terrible game. Talk about Jesus. Tell them. Do it. Do it.